Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. Peter chapter 3 and verse number 15 this evening. I honor your pastor, your bishop tonight. Amen. For their labor and work of love in the Lord here. Amen. So great to be here. First Peter chapter 3 and verse number 15. I am going to read it first from the King James. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The ESV, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word today. We thank you for your people. We thank you, God, for those that are here tonight to hear and receive your word and father we will not fail to give you the praise and the glory for what you are going to do in this room tonight in jesus name let the church say amen Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the lord we talked last night about always being prepared to make a defense to anyone that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you we're going to attempt to briefly hit the bookends of the verse tonight. But in your hearts, the ESV says, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And the language there, the terminology there is um, uh, particularly connected to a text that we're going to uh, talk about here in a moment from the Old Testament. And then we are going to, uh, we're going to talk about the connection of doing apologetics, giving that reasoned answer with gentleness and with respect. But the ESV starts out the language with, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. So what does it mean? What is or was Peter saying or implying whenever he told his audience to honor Christ the Lord as holy. This is very particular language that Peter chose in 1 Peter 3.15. And he is quoting Isaiah chapter 8 verses 11 to 13. Peter is quoting language from Isaiah chapter 8 verses 11 to 13. For the Lord spoke thus to me, with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of the people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him shall you honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. So Peter was quoting and invoking the context, the language, the terminology from Isaiah 
chapter 8, verses 11 to 13, which the prophet applied to Yahweh, applied to Jehovah God of the Old Testament. I want to read it again for you to get it. For the Lord spake thus unto me with his strong hand upon me. Now you, you have to get the language of that as well, the imagery of that. How many of you in this room has ever had your dad grab you on your shoulder or around your neck and squeeze just a little bit when he was talking to you? The Lord spake unto me with his strong hand upon me. Isaiah was saying, when God was talking to me about this, he was getting my attention. He wanted to make sure that I understood that what he was saying to me, he meant for me to hear it. He warned me. Not to walk in the way of this people saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, the Lord who is in charge of an innumerable amount of angels, the armies of the Lord, the the angels who are there to fight on behalf of the Lord. Him shall you honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. As stated above, Peter quoted Isaiah 8. It is immeasurably significant that Peter did more than just quote Isaiah. He applied the exclusive Yahwistic characteristics from Isaiah to Christ. What did it mean to honor Yahweh or to honor the Lord? To honor the Lord as holy, amen, is to honor him to the exclusion of all other gods. Yahweh belonged, the Lord belonged in a category all by himself as the creator of all things. The gods of the nations were created gods, but Yahweh, brothers and sisters, was the creator God. All of the other gods of the nations had been created by those that worshiped them. They made gods in their own image. They created gods that represented their own desires and passions. They were created gods, gods of wood and stone, gods that had eyes, as the prophet would say, but could not see ears, but could not hear. But whenever Isaiah is talking about Yahweh, he said, I want you to honor the Lord as holy. I want you to say about him that he is in a category all by himself. He does not fit in the category of the gods. Amen. This is why you do not have to fear those nations. This is why you do not have to fear what they will do to you because your God is holy. Your God is in a category all by himself. Amen. Their gods have eyes that cannot see, but not our God. Our God has eyes and he sees all things. Their gods have ears but cannot hear. But our God does not have ears who are heavy. Neither does he have arms that are short that he cannot save. So don't fear their gods. 
Fear only the Lord. Honor him as holy. He alone is God. He alone is to be feared. He alone is to be honored and respected. Honor the Lord as holy. Him shall you honor as holy. Then Peter comes to the New Testament. In the New Testament, Peter is about to prepare the people for being ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is in you. And so Peter invokes this image from uh, Isaiah chapter number 8 where Isaiah was saying, don't fear what they fear. Don't call conspiracy what they call conspiracy. Don't listen to what it is that they are saying. You are to honor the Lord as holy. And Peter says, in the same way, we are to honor, get this, Christ the Lord as holy. Isaiah said, honor the Lord as holy. Peter says, honor Christ the Lord as holy. He quoted Isaiah 8 and inserted Christ into the language. In other words, what he's saying to those that are about ready to give an answer to every man that asks a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear, Peter is saying, you serve that same God of Isaiah 8 and you serve him in the name and in the person of Christ and do not fear what they are going to say. Do not fear what they are going to bring against you, but honor Christ the Lord as holy. There is there is no God like Jesus. There is no Lord like our Christ. Honor Christ the Lord is holy. It does not matter what the culture says. It does not matter what the world says. We like those in Isaiah are going to ignore the voices of the opposition. We will not fear what they are going to say. Rather we will fear Christ alone. We will honor Christ the Lord as holy. When Peter says to honor Christ, the Lord is holy, the question becomes, what Lord? The only possible Lord to whom he was referring was Yahweh the Lord, who, from whom he was quoting in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 to 13. Brothers and sisters, Peter believed that Christ was the Lord of Isaiah 8. What an incredible revelation. In what ways was Christ the Lord holy? He was holy, of course, because he is in a category all by himself as the one true God of the Old Testament manifest in the flesh in the New Testament. He was holy also because he was born of a virgin. Isaiah seven fourteen, Matthew 1 and verse number 23, no person before or after Christ has ever been born, born of a virgin. That one exception has already been used and we're not going to buy it from anybody else ever again. <laughs> Christ was holy in that he lived a perfect sinless life. As we quoted last night, the writer of Hebrews says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, 
unstained, separate from sinners and exalted above the heavens. The terms holy, innocent, unstained, and separate from sinners characterize the holiness of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21 lets us know that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And of course, we cannot talk about the holiness of Christ and the ability and the obligation to fear Christ the Lord, to respect Christ the Lord, to honor Christ the Lord as holy without talking about the impact that that holiness will have upon us as his people. First Peter chapter 1, verses 15 to 16, 4. Ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Because we honor Christ the Lord as holy, we too will be his holy people. Now get this. Not only did Peter invoke the language of the holiness of Yahweh to honor the Lord as holy and then tells us to honor Christ the Lord as holy. He took the language of the holiness of Israel in the Old Testament. He applies that again to the church in the New Testament and tells them to be holy. He tells them, amen, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9, in the vein of be holy, Peter referred to us as the holy nation. All of Peter's language in 2.9 was drawn from descriptions of the congregation of Israel. And the specific phrase, holy nation, is from Exodus chapter 19 and verse number 6. And of course, there is a powerful correlation between Christ and Christians as it relates to the Old Testament. As noted above, Peter understood Christ's role in the worship of the one true God as the personal continuation of of the worship of the God of the Old Testament. But he does something even more. He does not just say, honor Christ the Lord as holy, but he refers to the church as the holy nation in the same type, amen, of honor that God gave to the congregation of Israel in the Old Testament. The point is, is that the same role of the holiness of God in the Old Testament, that the holy nation was to live out in relationship, amen, to other nations around them. That same responsibility has fallen upon us to honor Christ the Lord as holy, to be that holy nation that does not fear, amen, those that are around us, but we are here to honor Christ as holy, as a holy nation, as a holy people that will proclaim the word of God and be ready always to give an answer to every man for the reason of the hope that is in us with meekness and with fear. Or as the King James says, with gentleness and respect. So the emphasis now on gentleness and respect is as we are being always ready to give an answer to every man or being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks a reason of the hope. Not only are we to be prepared to give an answer, but there is a particular way in which that answer is to be given. We are to first of all give the right answer, be prepared to give that answer because we honor Christ the Lord as holy. 
and we fear him, we respect his word. But then there is a response, there is an attitude in our apologetic. There is an attitude in our defense of the gospel that must also be in place. We not only ought to be prepared with our defense of the gospel, we must also be prepared in our demeanor with the gospel. Can I say that again? We are not only to be prepared with our defense of the gospel, but we are also to be prepared with our demeanor with the gospel. <clears throat> and so the question today is how are we going to respond once the question has been asked? Once they ask us a reason of the hope, what does gentleness mean? According to Strong's, gentleness means mildness. That is, by implication, humility. Thayer defined it as mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, or meekness. Meekness, however, is not weakness. Numbers chapter 12 and verse number 3. Moses, the Bible says, was the meekest man who had ever lived or the meekest man who was alive at his time at least. But Moses also had the capacity to flip out and throw some tables of stone down and break a few commandments every now and then. In Exodus chapter 32 and verse number 19. So when you study the life of Moses, you will find that though he was the meekest man that ever lived, he was far from passive or weak. Meekness then is not the absence of strength, but rather meekness is restrained or controlled strength. <clears throat> Jesus was the quintessential example of one who was meek, but not weak. Jesus himself claimed that he was meek, Matthew 11 and verse number 29. However, no serious student of Jesus would consider Jesus to be a weak man. Ten chapters after Jesus' self-professed meekness, there was a little episode of temple cleansing where Jesus flipped over the tables of the money changers in Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 to 13, not exactly a scene of passivity. Yet in Matthew 27, he willingly temporarily submitted to death. The cross was meekness. It was, it was restrained and delayed force. Jesus could have kept himself from the cross. He could have, amen, did, used his power to obliterate every one of those who were trying to crucify him. It wasn't that he was weak, but rather his meekness restrained his strength in that moment to do the thing that was the will of God for him in that particular area of his life. But three days later, that restrained strength that let him die on a cross become unleashed power that got him up out of the grave on the third day. And Jesus was not only raised from the dead on the third day, but he raised his own self from the dead on the third day. John 2, 19, 
Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. You see, meekness isn't the absence of power. It's controlled power. It's power released at the right moment for the right reason. At the right moment for the right reason. His self-resurrection was a display of his power as he forcibly led captivity captive. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 8. Therefore, gentility is how the Spirit enables us to use disciplined or controlled force. As Christians, we must seek to be gentle in our response to the culture's questions. We are to be ready to give an answer to every man that asks us a reason of the hope that is in us because we honor Christ as holy. We are obligated to give that answer. But there is a way in which we are to do it. We are to do it with gentleness and respect. It is not, it is not Christian behavior to be arrogant in our apology even when we are right. I would actually go on to say that it is not appropriate to be arrogant in our apology, especially when we are right. Because arrogance always puts off the person to whom you're being arrogant. And if you are right about your answer, the last thing you want to do is alienate someone from hearing the truth of what you have to say. And so we are, to, we are to be gentle, especially when handling the most important message of all time, which is the message of the gospel, an apology, a defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're going to get ticked at anybody, do it somewhere where you're not talking about the gospel. When it comes to the gospel... It demands gentleness. It demands that restrained behavior. It, remain, it demands that we restrain ourselves even when we might want or feel like being more uh, forceful or cocky than what we really want, want to be. If we are to answer questions humbly when we are uncertain, how many has ever heard that type of, well, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not quite sure. I think, uh, I think this is right, but I, I'm, don't, don't quote me on it. I, I, I'm giving myself an out. If we are to answer questions humbly when we are uncertain, then how much more ought we to answer humbly when we are certain? I am by no means saying that we should not speak confidently. We should just not speak arrogantly. We must speak with assurance if we are going to be prepared to make a defense. Jesus, or Peter said to Jesus, we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, John 6, 69. And the examples could be multiplied about speaking the gospel and the message of the gospel with certainty. But speaking with certainty is not the same as speaking arrogantly. 
An arrogant answer is not the apostolic answer. A gentle but accurate answer is the apostolic way to respond when people have questions of us concerning this gospel. There is a specific way that we should respond to others. I love how Paul says it. Colossians chapter 4 verses 3 through 6. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how, which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, make the best use of the time, or as the King James says, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer each person. That ye may know how you ought to answer each person. I love also how Paul says, pray that there may be an open door for the word on account of the fact that I am in prison. <laughs> I'm in prison, but I need an open door. <laughs> For the word to go forth. There are so many things to love about the above text as it relates to our topic. Firstly, Paul understands that effective preaching of the gospel happens when the door for the word is open. That is being ready to make a defense when they ask us of the reason the effectiveness of the gospel happens when the door for the word is opened. It is a waste of time to preach to closed doors. The open door to preach the gospel is most likely going to come in the form of someone saying, what about the gospel? What about this? It's when they ask us. Secondly, Paul said that we are to make it clear. And that is how we ought to speak. Paul was prepared to make a defense. Again, speaking with gentleness does not mean that we are unsure about what we are saying. We must speak our defense of the gospel in a clear way. We are to communicate the gospel in the best way that we can within the context with which we are speaking. We, brothers and sisters, need the ability to speak Amen. And make clear what we are saying. But in the midst of that, Paul said, let your speech be always gracious. Let it always be gracious so that you may know how you ought to speak or to answer each person. The reason is that ye may know how to answer each person. Speak always Amen. With, with grace or always be gracious in your speech. Paul again used the term ought. There are two ways in the text that we ought to answer them that are without. We ought to speak clearly, Paul said. And we ought to speak graciously. Two ways.
ways we ought to speak, both clearly and graciously when we are communicating the gospel. Get this, gentility is the tone of the gospel and meekness is the method of our message. There are times, brothers and sisters, when we are in conversation with those around us that we could absolutely overwhelm them and demolish them if we were simply debating. We could tie them up in knots. Hey, man, we could, we, could, we could somehow absolutely demolish their theories and theologies about God. But brothers and sisters, when we are communicating the gospel, the message of the gospel is not meant to humiliate someone. It's not meant, amen, to make them feel terrible or bad in that particular moment. It's kind of hard to win somebody when you have just got done humiliating and criticizing them. Our response with the gospel ought to be one that is clear, but it ought to be one also that is gracious when we are communicating the message of the gospel. It does not matter how good our defense of the gospel is. If our demeanor with the gospel, amen, is not the way God intends it to be, then our demeanor is going to be more prominent than our defense. And our demeanor with the gospel is going to override and distract from our defense of the gospel. And so the goal of the gospel, the goal in presenting the gospel and how we speak the gospel is to be with gentleness and respect. Or as Paul said, we ought to speak clearly and we ought to speak graciously. Not only is it important what we say when they ask us a reason of the hope, it is important how we say and how we give that defense of the reason of the hope that is in us. The last thing the world needs is another arrogant and ignorant apostolic saint in their city. (laughs) There are too many of them in the world already. We don't need any more. Somebody said, how many arrogant and ignorant apostolics are there in the world? I don't know, but as long as there's one, there's one too many. And I've met a few of them in my life. I have probably been one at some point in my life. But the last thing the world needs is another arrogant and ignorant apostolic person in their city. Neither do they need... Arrogant and informed apostolics. Neither do we need humble and ignorant apostolics. What the world needs is informed and gentle apostolics. A people that is well equipped with the word of God, but also has a way about them that they speak with gentility, and with grace. How many in the room tonight is weary with those who use holiness and separation as tools to be condescending to their communities? There was a church up by where I pastor a number of years ago during the Christmas holiday, during the holiday seasons, Christmas and and, uh, Easter, they would, this church would literally go around town setting people's yard ornaments on fire. 
burning their Santa Clauses, destroying their bunny rabbits. Because that's paganism and we got to tear down those idols in our community, in our city. And so they're going around destroying the personal property of other people as a way to try to communicate how holy Christ the Lord is and how holy we are. But you know that holiness has a best friend that always hangs out with him. Holiness has a best friend named peace. Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And too often we see not a lot of peace from the people who are sometimes the greatest proclaimers of holiness. But brothers and sisters, if your holiness isn't hanging out with peace, then it is not the holiness of the Bible. Because while we are to honor Christ the Lord as holy, we are to give our defense of the gospel with gentleness and with respect. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. How did you say that last night about mission and separation? Mission and separation always go together. Mission and separation always go together. And whenever your separation hinders you from doing your mission, which is to make a defense of the gospel with gentleness and respect, then something is wrong somewhere along the line. Brothers and sisters, we are to be a holy people. We are to be a separated people. But brothers and sisters, it ought to be that our holiness, amen, proclaims the glory of Christ to a lost and to a dying world. How many in this room today want God to help you to be more effective and being prepared to make a defense of the hope that is in you? Do you want God to help you both in your knowledge of scripture but also in the way that you present, in the way that you share the gospel with those that are around you we should not add offense to the gospel the gospel in and of itself is an is an offense it is a rock of offense it is a it is a stone of stumbling it is an offense all by itself there is no reason why we should add offense to the gospel to make it more difficult to obey the gospel than the offense that is already built into the gospel. So when we give our defense of the gospel, we need to be ready not only with what we have to say, but how we have to say it, how we communicate the message of the gospel. It is amazing to me as I've traveled across the country And of course, whenever you are in a strange city, if you want to find out whether there are apostolics in that city, you go to to the nearest Walmart, and if you don't see an apostolic within 30 minutes, there's probably not an apostolic church in that city. (laughs) Because somebody from that church is going to be at Walmart somewhere within a 30-minute period. Apostolics are going to be at a Walmart. But it's amazing. You can go into a strange place as a stranger in a city. I've did it repeatedly. 
And you can, ha- you can start up a conversation with any of the average person in the aisle pretty much. But you see somebody else that looks apostolic. It's amazing how often I've spoken to them and they look at me cross-eyed. Like I was from another planet or something. My God, brothers and sisters, let that not be. Let that not be the demeanor that comes out of our churches. The church where I pastor at Point of Mercy, let it not be. When people, when people approach our people, when sinners or even other apostolics or even other Christians who are not apostolic approach us, there ought not be a more welcoming, a more friendly, a more open, a more kind people in our city than those in that city who are filled with the Spirit, baptized in the name of Jesus. There ought not be a more gracious people in the world than the people of God. Oh, hallelujah. They might not agree with our theology, but our communities ought to be able to say there's not a more friendly people in the world than those people that go to Medora Pentecostal Church. In the city where I pastor, it ought to be that the people say, we don't agree with what they preach down there all together, but there's not a more friendly people in the world, amen, than those people from Point of Mercy. Every time you see them, they got a smile on their face. Every time they, you see them, they're willing to speak to you and love you and be kind to you. There ought to be a gentleness. There ought to be an approachability to the people of God. Oh, hallelujah. And when we do that, brothers and sisters, I guarantee you that you will become a, you will begin to live a questionable lifestyle. People will want to know what it is about you that is different. You see, they don't care that you dress different. I'm not saying we shouldn't, we should. But Pentecostals are the only ones that care how you dress. Pentecostals are the only one that cares about that stuff. A good friend of mine, pastors here in the state of Indiana, Daniel McDonald, made the statement, most of our standards are not designed to separate us from the world. They're designed to separate us from other Pentecostals. (coughs) Most of what we do isn't about separation from the world. The world does not care how we dress. You really know that they don't care that our ladies have long hair. They don't care about that. <laughs> they don't mind you having long hair. What they mind is us having long tongues. All right, right, all right. That's good. They don't mind us having long skirts. What they have a problem is with is us having long faces. When we don't have the ability to smile and be kind. When we go out into the world. Brothers and sisters, you want to talk about being separated from the world. I'll tell you what being separated from the world is. You want to to talk about being different from the world. When the world is steeped in depression. When the world is sad. When the world is struggling with addiction. You want to talk about coming out of an apostolic service where the presence of the Lord has fallen among us and we come out of here like they did, amen, on the day of Pentecost from the upper room and we come out filled with the Spirit. Come out with a 
joy of the Holy Ghost in our lives, the spirit and the power of Christ flowing out of us. That's what's going to get their attention more than anything else in the world. So you have a long skirt. So does Wesleyan holiness. So does Mennonites. And I'm not saying that because they're bad people at all. I'm just simply saying very often we dress very similar. It's not that that's going to make the difference between us and the world. What's going to get the world's attention? What's going to cause them to want what we have is when there is a genuine power of the grace of God that is flowing out of our hearts, that is flowing out of our speech when we treat them with gentleness and respect, when there is a demeanor with our defense that is compatible with the grace that Christ demonstrated on the cross when he died for our sins. Make no mistake about it. I believe in external holiness and separation, but I believe just as deeply in gentleness. Or as Psalm says in Psalm 45 and verse number 2, let us always speak with lips that are filled with grace. <laughs> lips that are filled with grace. Lips filled with grace. Lips that are filled with grace have no room for complaining or gossip or lying. Lips that are filled with grace. Doesn't have a space to, and God help me right now because there have been days that if Jesus would have come back while I was in a drive-thru, I would have went straight to hell. Because McDonald's gets my order wrong every single time I go through one of their drive throughs And stupid me, I haven't learned to check yet. I always figure it out after I have pulled away. But lips that are filled with grace isn't, doesn't have the room to yell at that person waiting on you at a McDonald's drive-thru because they got your order incorrect. Because at the same time that you gave them a piece of your mind and you let them know how incompetent they and the entire staff at your sorry McDonald's is. What's going to happen whenever... God's dealing with them and they walk in service the next Sunday and you're greeting them at the front door and the only thing they can remember about you is how you chewed them out because they got your order wrong Saturday night and here they are at church on Sunday morning and your lips were not filled with grace on Saturday evening when they got your order wrong but now you're expecting them to hear how we have the greatest thing in the world. We have a responsibility, brothers and sisters, to give that answer with gentleness. With gentleness. So it's not just our defense of the gospel. It is our demeanor with the gospel that makes us prepared to give that full and adequate defense. Do you want God to use you tonight? Do you want God to use you tonight? You, Hallelujah. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, I want you to help me to be a witness. God, I want you to help me. Being prepared to give that defense means more than having all of the intellectualism of the argument laid out. Being prepared to give that defense of the gospel is more than being able to give all the arguments for baptism in Jesus' name. All the arguments for the oneness of God. Being prepared for that defense is a preparation of attitude. It's a preparation of spirit. It's a preparation of lips that are filled with grace, oh God. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, can you pray with me for just a moment? Can you lift your hands with me for just a moment and ask the Holy Ghost to help us to be more effective in our defense of the gospel, to be more effective in how we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? Oh, Lord, help me today, God. Help me today. I want to be more effective. I want to be fully prepared, not just with academics, but with attitude, not just with doctrine, but with demeanor, God. I want to be able to represent you. I want to be able, amen, to make an apology of the gospel. Hallelujah. Not just with arguments, but with the way we live out the gospel in the world. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Help us being always prepared. Always prepared. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com. Set